0: I can do the first 15 seconds almost without any discomfort, and then my legs start burning in the last five seconds, but then I'm literally done with the sprint. And then as you get fitter and stronger, it keeps getting more challenging to give an optimal experience every single time. With rehab and with these extremely short sprints, you you get a lot of gain for really very little amount of pain. So there's a growing body of evidence and by now I think we can be pretty confident that, that it does work.
1: Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this.
2: Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, I have been looking forward to this episode for so long and you guys have been begging for it. I don't think I can describe enough how obsessed I am with my Carol bike. And if you think this episode is just about the Carol bike, have no fear. It is a deep dive into so many things, metabolism, fat burning, cardiac health, exercise, HIIT training, glycogen levels, so many things. And I talk about this in the episode, but I am just blown away with how easy it has been to integrate the Carol bike into my life. I do it almost every single day. It's one of those things where I'm like, I can't believe I wasn't doing this before. It's just so, so key for health, cardiorespiratory fitness. And it's so easy. Like it's so easy, especially after I started implementing what I learned from Ulrich in this episode, which is that you don't even have to do the warm-up session What? That makes a session six minutes. It's crazy. If you would like your own Carol bike, which I cannot recommend enough, it totally pays for itself. When you think about how you can use it daily for years and years to come, you can get $100 off at carolbike.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-B-I-K-E.com with the coupon code Melanie Avalon. I am so grateful for that. By the way, it was super easy to set up. I got the assembly with it. It came assembled. They brought it into my apartment. They plopped it down and I was good to go. Literally friends, it's one of my favorite things in my life. And I really think our metabolic health would change if everybody had this bike and was implementing it. A few days a week. The show notes for today's episode will be at Melanieavalon.com slash Carol. Those show notes will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about. So definitely check that out. That will be very helpful. There will be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods plus Life. Find the pinned announcement post at the top of the group. Comment something that you learned or something that resonated with you from this episode to enter to win something that I love. And then there will be a second giveaway on my Instagram. Find the Friday announcement post and comment there as well to enter to win something that I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really wanna bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just wanna break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. On a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin. So you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel their vitamin C serum. They have shampoo and conditioner skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the golden globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code clean for all 20 to get 20% off site-wide. And again, one more time, if you would like to get your own Carol bike, use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get $100 off at carolbike.com. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Ulrich Dempla. Hi friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. I have been waiting for this conversation for a few months now. I've been talking about it preemptively on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast all the time. My experience with something I received called the Carol Bike. And so the backstory on this whole moment that's happening right now is quite a while ago now, I read Dave Asprey's book, Smarter, Not Harder. And that was the first time that I heard about a concept called rehit. So I know people are pretty familiar with HIT high-intensity interval training, as was I, but I never heard of this concept of rehit, which we are going to dive deep into in today's episode. And specifically, he was mentioning this product called the Carol Bike that it sounded like from reading his book, it actually gave you the perfect rehit workout. So it seemed really cool. And then Around that same time, the reps for the CEO and co-founder of Carol, Ulrich Dimfla, I I was working on saying his name, reached out to see if he wanted to come on the show and also offered to send me the bike to try. And okay, I'm going to be completely honest. I am not, and listeners know this. I'm not a gym person. I'm not a workout person. I like to just make my life exercise. Like I I walk around a lot. I stand. I wear weights around the store. I do M sculpt. I'm not a gym person. Like I have a mirror gym thing at home. I I don't ever really use it. So I wasn't sure receiving it if I was actually going to enjoy it or use it because it's just not normally my thing oh my goodness, friends, this, <laughs> this bike is the most epic, life-changing thing ever. It's incredible. And I, and I know you guys have probably heard me talk about it on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, but basically their signature workout that we'll I'm sure we'll talk about is only eight minutes. You only do it two or three times a week. And then on top of that, it's Interactive, like you wear a heart rate strap, so it's monitoring you. The track that you, (laughs) that it does, if you pick it is instead of, I mean, you can pick music if you like, but if you don't, if you do their main track called Tiger, it actually creates this whole scene, this narrative where it acts like you're a hunter gatherer and it has you doing breathing exercises while you're pedaling. And then it screams at you, (laughs) yells at you to run away from the tiger for two short 20 second sprints. And it's just so fun, so easy, so incredible to implement into your life. And then on top of that, I was like, I need to check my biomarkers and see if things actually change. So after doing Carol for... I get I should get the exact timeline. Probably it's probably been about two months or so. My cholesterol panel, everything plummeted. And I guess it could have been other factors as well, but it's it's pretty significant. And then on top of that, my HBA1C, and I'm sorry, Ulrich, this is like the longest intro ever. My HBA1C, I kind of set myself up. Basically, my HBA1C is typically always low, but then I had made a dietary change. <laughs> where I started cooking my fruit, which I didn't change the amount of fruit I was eating. I just cooked it. And my HbA1c actually went up from 5 to 5.8, which terrified me and shocked me. I immediately stopped cooking the fruit. And at the same time, I started doing carol. So again, there was two factors going on there. But within a month, it dropped to 4.9. So that was very impressive. And just on top of all that, I now feel, I have seen changes in my body composition, my legs. The Carol actually also gives you markers in the device on your your fitness improvement. And this is becoming the longest episode intro ever. So I'm going to stop. Point being, this is the most amazing thing. Everybody needs it in their life. Ulrich, thank you so much for being here and for creating this bike because I'm obsessed, as you can clearly tell.
0: Well, thank you for having me as your guest. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. I don't think I've ever had such a, such a, such a nice and kind and meaningful introduction to a podcast. So thank you very much.
2: No, of course that was, <laughs> I think that might've been my longest introduction ever, but I've just been, I I'm honestly, like I said, really shocked because I really didn't think I was going to, I thought I was going to drag using it because I'm not an exercise person. And I'm just actually, that's a, well, I have so many questions for you. I'm going to circle back to that one. To start things off, I would love to hear a little bit about your personal story. So, what led you to creating Carol? What happened?
0: Coincidence. I think I think when I was in my teenage years, my dream was to design like a physical product, and ideally something you can sit on. At the time I thought about a car or an air airplane, and so I studied mechanical engineering and realized at some point that a car or an aeroplane is not built by or designed by one person. It's designed by thousands and thousands of engineers, and you, if you're lucky, you design the I don't know the the rear entry handle on the left back door or so. So because it, they're so so large, complex products, and so I didn't. I, I worked in automotive for a while, but then actually changed into healthcare and worked for the longest time of my pro- professional career in healthcare to make. Care for patients more, better, and more efficient and effective. And the the largest lever there is prevention and and preventative care. And so, my co-founders and I designed and managed chronic disease management programs for people with heart failure, diabetes, and so on. And for for that patient population, exercise, as for anybody else, exercise is the most important, most powerful intervention you could think of. It's really fundamental. The, the problem is just it's really, really hard to get people to exercise. And we struggled with that. And then in 2012, so it's 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, we came across a BBC documentary about Rehit, And they showcased this new type of workout, how it was incredibly short, incredibly effective. And uh, literally you could do it in your suit. So that was how they portrayed it. So you, it was so easy. You wouldn't sweat. You can do it in your suit. And we fell in love on first sight and thought we have to do this both for ourselves. And it might be a solution for our the patient groups we've worked with. And so so I went same day, uh, the next day after seeing the the show, out and bought myself a conventional exercise bike, but I, I paid very close attention to what they've said. So I tried to get the best one, the most suitable one and tried it at home. And it was nothing like how it was portrayed in, in, the, in the documentary, in the, in the science program. And so we called up the scientists that were featured there, Dr. Niels Wallert, and asked, what are we doing wrong? And the first thing he said, well, you need a special bike. And I was like, oh, wh- why did you not mention that? <laughs> and it, it turns out, the, so the research in scientific labs has been conducted on special bikes that facilitate this rehit workout, and And the research equipment was first more expensive than, like really quite expensive and not suitable for consumers. And it needed to be operated by a second person, by a lab technician. So you needed somebody by your side to operate the equipment for you. And that's okay for scientific research, but it's not okay for a consumer. And so we just came up, we, we stumbled, we literally stumbled across this gap in the market and thought we can do better and we can actually close that gap. And so we we decided to to develop a automated consumer-friendly bike to make these re workouts as simple and easy as possible. And okay, this is 10 years ago now, probably 40, 50 prototypes later, we have the Carol bike and it works very nicely and have actually managed to to bring some brilliant science out of the lab and into the real world. And yeah, it was really all a bit coincidence, but we're very happy with it. And going back to the, the intro... It is a product that where, where I'm very much involved in the design, and I can actually sit on it. So very happy that my teenage dreams actually have come come true.
2: Oh my goodness, I love that so much. Okay, wait. So what are you sitting on right now? Do you sit on some special chair? No, <laughs> a
0: fairly normal office chair.
2: Okay, <laughs> that's so funny. I love that about that's so um like specific. Well, just to iterate on what you said. You're talking about how hard it is to get people to exercise. And I guess it depends on the type of person. But like I said, for me, I'm that that type. Like I just don't like concentrated workouts. And I I really am like my mind is a little bit blown about how you have accomplished that goal completely. Like all you have to do is one session on Carol. And I, I almost don't believe it. I'm like, is this really can this really be giving me all the benefits? So a question to that. I guess starting with HIT, high intensity interval training, how does it create so many benefits in a short amount of time? And then how was reHIT created from that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. So, re- reHIT stands for reduced exertion, high intensity interval training. So, HIT or high intensity interval training, most people will be familiar with it. The effectiveness is very clear. And a HIT program, lasts. And there's a great uh, variety, but lasts usually around 20 to 30 minutes. You have multiple higher intensity intervals, could be four, five, six, eight, ten, that last between 40 seconds up to four minutes. There's really, there's great variety. And the benefits are clear. It is just difficult for p- many people to do. So the, the perceived rate of exertion is very high, And it's also not that time efficient. So scientists basically sought to to find out what is the minimum effective dose. So how little do you have to do to get the desired or to, to get the benefits? And that was successively. Basically, they went shorter and shorter until they found what seems to be the limit. And that is 220 seconds at maximum intensity and that is a, a really important distinction so where hit offers high intensity training rehit offers maximum intensity training and you're able to do maximum intensity because the sprints are so short it 's only two twenty seconds but in those two twenty seconds you push your body to to its limit and thereby triggering a physiological adaptation and the release of certain signaling molecules that that are unique to to this rapid increase in in intensity and working out at even if it's for such a short period of time at your maximum intensity and that that's really the the secret that you do push to your limits even if it's very short and that you switch from basically very casual very low load to maximum load in an instant and have like this, this very rapid increase in, in intensity.
2: For those studies to determine that, how many studies did they conduct and what was the patient population and the time frame? Like when they were measuring the benefits to see if the benefits were equivalent to hit, were they looking at immediate benefits or were they looking at the longer term benefits?
0: Yeah. So this is, obviously it's an emerging field but there's by now a large body of evidence so the the first studies on rehead came out about 15 years ago by now there's i've, I've seen a, a, like one of the latest meta-analysis that quoted some some 40 high quality studies and and was able to aggregate all the the data of those so this this has grown and the 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 evidence is fairly robust by now. And then in terms of the, the periods that are under investigation, so it varies a little bit. Usually it's the minimum is six weeks that such studies take. Eight weeks seems to be the norm, and then it goes longer, some are 12 weeks, 20 weeks. There's rarely a scientific study that goes longer than 20 weeks because it's, it's just, it's a lot of effort. I mean, think about it, especially if you use that equipment where you need basically always a lab technician next to the person, that is a, a fair amount of effort. The the numbers also vary greatly. So we had one study done specifically with Carroll bike and comparing it to moderate intensity exercise. There were 32 participants, 16 in each group. We've got, I'm aware of a new one also on Carroll equipment. They had seventy five participants with twenty five in split in three groups of twenty five. So there's a growing body of evidence, and by now I think we can be pretty confident that that it does
2: work. Just to clarify, in the studies when they were doing it, how do they make sure the patients are doing the full out sprints? Not when they're not using Carol, like when they're just using a normal bike.
0: So they're not using a normal bike; they're using a specialized research bike that that is built for they call it Wingate tests, so for all-out sprint testing. And there you have, it looks a little, a little bit archaic almost, but you you have like metal weights, uh, plate-loaded bikes, and the subject accelerates very fast without the load. And then the operator of the equipment would release the weight and the resistance would get applied. And the, the subjects are just instructed to go all out and the correct resistance is applied by the the lab technician based on so there's there's reference tables that they've established as to what the right resistance level is for for each person that would be very difficult to to do on a on a regular bike because you you wouldn't know what the right resistance level is for you and then just the mechanics of accelerating to a high speed at low resistance, then dialing in the right resistance at exactly the right time to the right level very rapidly. It's very hard to do.
2: Okay, so that's what you were saying earlier about it being a special bike, but also a person There is kind of like a person physically implementing the technology that Carol does.
0: Exactly that. Exactly that. So you had basically a, a bike that was operated by a lab technician.
2: Okay. And I do have questions about the technology and Carol. Quick question about the perceived rate of exertion that you mentioned. Thinking back to it, I think that's another reason I was hesitant, not hesitant, but that was another reason I thought with Carol that it wouldn't really stick with me was I would do high intensity interval trainings, especially in college, like all the time. And I appreciated how they were shorter in time, but also they seemed very like hard, Draining, <laughs> like the, the, the all-out sprint part and everything, and with Carol, it seems like it's a lower perceived rate of exertion. Is it for the sprints?
0: Yes, because it is the. I mean, de facto, it, it is reduced exertion, high-intensity interval training. So the the overall rate of exertion is much lower, and there's a bit of a psychological trick almost in that the sprints are so short that. That you can actually push to your limit. And I talk personally, and then that's also feedback I get from our users. The discomfort that kicks in at some point is really it only comes in once you're almost done. So I can do the first 15 seconds almost without any discomfort. And then my legs start burning in the last five seconds. But then I'm literally done with a sprint. So you know how they say in, in fitness, no pain, no gain. I think there's a little bit of truth in that, but with Rehit and with these extremely short sprints, you, you get a lot of gain for really very little amount of pain. So the, the cost-benefit ratio, the ROI, both on your time invested and on the level of discomfort you suffer is, is extremely good. And that makes it you know, a really attractive proposition for, for many people.
2: I mean, it truly is incredible. It's one of those things now integrating it into my life. I just think, how was I not doing this before? Because I I mean I really just I do plan to use it for the rest of my life.
0: You should. That's great. And you know what? You you in some ways you have to because so with the exercise, exercise is in many ways comparable to nutrition or, or, or diet, yeah. With Let's say with a crash diet or so, you can lose a lot of weight in a very short period of time. But when you stop and you go back to your normal ways, you you just put on the weight. Most people do anyway. And with, with exercise, sadly, the same applies. So you can get in a very short period of time, six weeks, eight weeks, very noticeable, very meaningful, big improvements in your fitness. But when you stop exercising this also goes away again. So you detrain about as fast as you train. And that's that's obviously sad. It would be much nicer if it was a one-off and it would just stay with you. But that's 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 just not how life works. So you really have to find something that you can turn into a sustainable habit. And we believe that Carol could be that for many people. Because so... If you, if you look at how many people actually exercise enough, it's quite shocking. It's less than 5% of Americans meet the, the guidelines for aerobic exercise, 5%. So, and, and by now, I feel the benefits of exercise are very well understood. Most people know and understand it and would like to, to exercise, but we don't. And if you survey people why they don't exercise... Consistently, the main perceived barrier is lack of time. And there there might be a little bit that it's lack of time is just a better excuse than saying I'm lazy. Yeah. You know? But I, I think it is true. There's intense competition for our time. So people have busy schedules, absolutely. And and you can spend unlimited time on Netflix, on you know, reels on TikTok and so on. So it's, it's and and people don't sleep enough, which is so important, like it's the most, and so easy, but people still don't find enough time to sleep. So I think there is a really, having time efficient exercise is really important and having exercise that, you know, you can stick to and create a sustainable habit with it. And and we hope that Carol and the Carol Bike gives many people a tool to achieve exactly that, to build that sustainable habit.
1: It really,
2: really is that because I know for me, and again, some people, what they love is going to the gym and that is part of their their routine and that's what they use for stress mitigation. And so for for them, keep on keeping on. But in addition with Carol, like there have been actually, I've had this whole dialogue in my head, like this time dialogue where I uh, will think about if I'm going to do it or not that evening. And then I just say to myself, I'm like, Melanie, it's eight minutes. Like, I literally have eight minutes. I can do this. And then, like I said, doing it is so easy to engage with. Question about that, like the habit piece of it. So it says, you know, I've been reading on your blog, and, and I believe Carol says this as well when you receive it, that the recommendation, and it says it in the, the on the screen, the recommendation is two to three times per week. Is there any difference you know, if somebody did it daily, would that be better than two to three times per week?
0: So at first, there's no downside to doing it daily. The Because the exertion is so low, and we've, we've, we've talked that through with our academic partners, with the researchers who do that, the exertion is so low, there's no downside to doing it daily. And in fact, so over, at the moment I don't, but I, I have done for extended, for long periods, that I just did it every single day, every morning, because it was a habit. And same as I brush my teeth, I would just first thing get up, get my ride done, and then go about my my daily other daily routines. At the moment, I do it every other day because I want to kind of I've, I've got into weightlifting now, so I do one day carol, another day I, I do a bit of weights in the morning. So so that's how I alternate it, but. So you can do it every day, absolutely no problem. In terms of how often should you do it, the the two main benefits, and there's a long list of other benefits, but the two main benefits is cardiovascular fitness, an improvement in cardiovascular fitness measured in VO2 max, and improvements in your metabolic health. And for depending on what your priorities are for cardiorespiratory fitness, studies seem to suggest that two times per week is actually enough and, and is enough of a training stimulus to improve your cardiorespiratory fitness. And then once you've reached your, your set point, maintain it at that level. For metabolic health, so if, you, if you're more concerned about blood glucose level and, and insulin sensitivity and so on, it seems to be better to do it more often. So do it three times, maybe even four times a week. So that's, it depends a little bit what your objectives are. It's, it's very efficient and very effective for both. Our recommendation is just to do it like three times a week. That's, I, I think, a very good and very doable you know, amount of, of work to fit into your life.
2: You mentioned doing it in the morning. So for me, I'm, a, I'm an evening girl. So I do it in the evening. How does it affect sleep? I was reading something really interesting on your blog. This actually, this was really helpful for me saying that studies show that as long as it's at least two hours before bed, that it does not negatively impact sleep and may actually improve it. What are your thoughts on sleep and doing it?
0: I, I agree with that statement. Personally, I can't. So so this is what, you know, what, what the, the consensus view is because then you give your body time to, to basically wind down again. you, through the reheat workout, you you definitely boost your metabolism, and we we have shown we have with with academic start partners done studies on kind of how long the afterburn lasts after a reheat ride, and that's like ninety minutes to two hours. So we would recommend to to leave some time before your bedtime. Two hours is good. Personally, I'm. I, I love to just get it done in the morning. This is my preference. Just this, is the first win of the day is 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 banked. I I also enjoy having a shower afterwards. There are people who don't need to have a shower. It's like many people don't actually sweat because it's so short. Some people do. I I enjoy having a shower afterwards. So and and I also enjoy doing it in a a semi-fasted state. At least not after a meal. So for me. Morning is just the, the, the best time. We've, we've discussed this with some of our academic partners, and there's no, there's no research into whether morning or afternoon is better. So this is really it's just personal preference. So you, you try it and see what works best for you.
2: I'm prepping to interview Dr. Gabrielle Lyon for her book Forever Strong, and I believe she referenced a study that actually showed that hit workouts during periods of sleep deprivation actually helped mitigate the negative effects of sleep deprivation, which would be the opposite of what you would normally think, because normally you would think, you know, when you're sleep deprived, like overstressing might make things worse. I'll have to find that and if I can. I don't know if that rings a bell. I've
0: seen a study that has shown that, so first, people should sleep. Sleep's super important.
2: Oh yes, yes, I know. That's why. I'm like, this is the antithesis of what I normally would say.
0: <laughs> so it's not like, oh, great, you don't have to sleep. So, so one thing that sleep deprivation does is that it causes acute insulin resistance in healthy people. So, if you if you have really if you're very sleep deprived, if you're restricted to say four hours per night or so, my understanding is that, and, and we've we found a study on that that can cause acute insulin resistance, but that's in people who don't exercise, and that in fact high intensity exercise, vigorous interval training, can ameliorate some of that insulin resistance caused by poor sleep. So if you're for whatever reason, maybe you're traveling, maybe you're maybe you're just not a great sleeper, we hit and high intensity. Exercise can some offset some of the negative consequences of, of lack of sleep. But again, I, I do do sleep. Uh, so important.
2: No, it's so important. I actually and I did I found it in her book. So this is from her book Forever Strong. She said both short-term and long-term sleep disturbances cause disruption in circadian rhythms and decrease muscle protein synthesis rates. However, implementing high-intensity interval training during periods of sleep restriction has been shown to preserve the rates of muscle protein synthesis. In other words, exercise can mitigate some of the negative effects of reduced sleep patterns on muscle protein synthesis rates.
0: That matches what, what, what we found. It's, it's really hard. Like we we also don't want to give the advice like exercise less or, or the, like, I, I really don't want to like, I, I bite my tongue every time I'm like, oh, I would never say something that it's stupid to work out longer. If you, if you have something that you enjoy and that you, that you, you know, if you're a gym rat or or like a runner who, who gets like into, into a different mental state with running. Yeah, that's perfect keep doing it. So whatever works for you, exercise is super. If you're struggling with exercise, then Bike and the rehab workout might be an excellent solution. And in fact, I was actually really surprised. At some point, we thought that our bike would attract mainly like non-exercisers, so people who, who had maybe an aversion to exercise or, or who didn't enjoy exercise. But that's not the case at all. So we have many people who are enthusiastic exercisers, and who, who exercise a lot and who just want to add something very efficient to their routine and or, or want a backstop for periods of the year where they're really busy and they, they can't do longer runs or longer rides. So the, the range of users is, is very large and, and it's certainly not all just people who, who, who want to do as little exercise as possible.
2: So actually to that point, when I was first kind of feeling Carol out, I was reaching out to a lot of people in the biohacking sphere, asking them their opinions. And it was overwhelming. Everybody was so on board, but it it was a range of people. Like, So Brad Kearns, who's Mark Sisson's co-author and writes like Primal Endurance and a lot of those books. And he's a really intense athlete. And I was asking him about it. He's like, oh yeah, this is like what you just said. He's like, this is the most." effective thing ever. You know, I use it all the time and he's somebody who's a very intense, you know, endurance athlete. So yeah, it's all across the board.
0: So, so it is really for a, a large variety. We, if you, if you ask that, like who, who's using Carol, we have a, the, the range is huge. It's from, you know, people who, who just start out and who, who may not never have exercised in their life before, but, but have health concerns or, or just, realize at some point and once you hit the 40s mid 40s people people start to think about their health a bit more that they have to do something and really well olympic gold medalists like like top class athletes and and because we have these algorithms and our ai that personalizes the workout for everybody we can cater for all those so we have (laughs) my mom she's 80 years old She's, she's one of our most regular users. So she religiously uses her bike every, every other day. She's pretty much at the bottom of the leaderboard, but she's still a very enthusiastic user and, and tells me all the time how much she enjoys it and how good it is for her. So that, that's kind of one end of the, the spectrum. And the other is really like Olympic gold medalists who, who use it and, and use it as one tool to, to be in, in peak condition.
2: Some other questions about that, because I think people often think, With most exercise, especially like muscle building, strength training, they say that the lower baseline that you start at, the faster you'll see improvements in the beginning just because you're starting somewhere where you have so much to benefit from. So your starting baseline for Carol, so those elite athletes who started versus somebody who's sedentary who doesn't normally exercise, the benefits that you get, what does that graph look like as far as how fast people get benefits?
0: The honest answer is I don't know, because most of the research is done on people with either sedentary lifestyles or, you know, normal people, not top athletes. And to, to be completely like logic dictates that for a top athlete, the the marginal gain is obviously much, much lower than for a person who just starts out. So the the newbie gains that you see in the gym in weightlifting, Absolutely must be also here for Carol. And so for a for a trained athlete, maybe it's it's more about how can I get the same stimulus in quicker, or how can I get in the same stimulus with less stress of my on my body so that I can focus more on recovery or focus on my skills or so. There it's it's not so much so so if somebody's a pro athlete, they they obviously train to a level that the the stimulus is almost maxed out. So that would be more something, how, how can I get the same stimulus with less stress on my system?
2: Hi friends, do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando And it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course there's lots of danger coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year and I would love to hang out with you guys and you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BC Melanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BC Melanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash conference with coupon code BC Melanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. And actually to that point, because for listeners, if they go to the website, it's carolbike.com, correct?
0: That's correct. Yes.
2: So if, if they go to the website, there are so many blogs there about all of this and the science, so you can you can dive deep into everything. There's a lot on VO2 max. I was curious if you could talk a little bit about that. And I was reading on your website that VO2 max is 50 defined by our genetics, and so we can actually hit a limit that we can't surpass, which is kind of upsetting sounding to me. Well,
0: oh, if it wasn't, we'd be all we'd be all participating in the Olympics, and that's. That's just not so, uh, yeah. Obviously, the people have genetic limits, so to speak. And with Carol, we see so most of the studies show that you can gain in the first eight weeks about a 12% improvement in your VO2 max. So, VO2 max is your ability to burn oxygen during exercise, and it's probably the, no, it is the, I'm I'm being definitive about this now, it is the most important health marker. It's the the strongest correlate to life expectancy. So it's really fundamental. And a 12% improvement in only eight weeks is very significant. And in fact, that's what we see with our users as well. So we see, on average, a 12% improvement in their fitness score, which we've designed so it tracks VO2 max in the first eight weeks. And then studies show that over the first 20 weeks, you can go up to to 20% on average, but then it obviously tails off and people will reach their genetic set points at some point. That's unavoidable. But we try to, again, through the algorithms and the AI, the bike will make the, the resistance harder as you get fitter and stronger. So it will adjust the workout and personalize the workout for you so that that plateau is basically reached as late as possible. Or or the, how do you say that it's, that you don't plateau before it's absolutely kind of, you maxed out your, your, your potential.
2: Question about that life expectancy. Does that relate to, because I interviewed James Nestor for his book, Breath, And he was talking about how in the Framingham Heart Study, the factor they found actually most correlated to longevity was lung capacity. Do you know if that was related possibly to VO2 max then? Or do you think that was a different marker?
0: So I'm familiar with the Framingham Study. My my knowledge, and so to the best of my knowledge, and this is what so I'm, I'm referring directly to the professors that we work with, the scientists we work with, they said that VO2 max is the strongest correlate to life expectancy. So I, I hadn't heard that that it's lung capacity. I'm sure the two are related, correlated as well. That that might explain it. But to to the best of my knowledge, it is VO2 max.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking about it more because I remember that blew my mind when I learned that, and now I'm just wondering if even if they didn't attribute it to VO2 max with a lung capacity, that that all involves. <laughs> oxygen and breathing so
0: yeah exactly and the circulatory system i mean vo2 max is the so there's there's multiple mechanisms how you improve your vo2 max so there's either they split it into central and peripheral adaptations or oxygen delivery and oxygen consumption so rehab very clearly affects both parts of the the system so one part is oxygen consumption, that is your, the ability of your muscles to basically metabolize oxygen. And that's achieved through primarily basically mitochondrial biogenesis, that you develop more and larger mitochondria, which are the, the power plants in your cells that, that metabolize oxygen. And then the central adaptations that's around how strong your heart is and and how much blood plasma you have and and lung capacity might also be correlated to that so this this is yeah it's, it's all connected to your cardiovi- cardiorespiratory system, yeah
2: something else you mentioned a little bit earlier, the metabolic effects that are happening and the the physiological effects that are happening when you're doing rehit, what things are? Activated, like I know it can affect AMPK and like GLUT four. What signaling molecules are activated when you're doing these workouts? So
0: what what happens during that sprint is basically, and that's that's what we facilitate and make as simple as possible. That you go from resting energy demand to a hundredfold greater. So that's that's roughly the order of magnitude energy demand, and you simulate something like an emergency situation. Imagine you have to run for your life or fight for your life and you have to switch on from standing from zero to nothing uh, from zero to 100 in, in a fraction of a second. In such a scenario, your muscles have to utilize uh, immediately available locally stored sources of energy. There's three energy systems. There's uh, phosphocreatine, anaerobic, and aerobic. The aerobic is, is most efficient, but it switches on most slowly. Phosphocreatine is fast, it's immediate, but it lasts for only 10 seconds. So, you, in those sprints, you, you burn first through the, you, or you, you, you exhaust the phosphocreatine system, and then you have to burn anaerobically glycogen, which is a storage form of sugar that's stored locally in your muscles. And what, what's really clever is that your body doesn't know how long this sprint will last, how long you have to fight for your life or run for your life. So it mobilizes lots of glycogen. And in fact, it mobilizes a lot more glycogen than is actually needed for those two 20-second sprints. But nevertheless, the the glycogen is mobilized, is uh, taken out of its stores, and bound to that glycogen is a molecule called AMPK, which is an important signaling molecule. And that, in turn, releases a further signaling molecule called PGC1-alpha, which is the master regulator for mitochondrial biogenesis. And so that is one mechanism how you improve your fitness levels, and how you increase your, your VO2 max. And because it's basically triggered by the mobilization of the glycogen, what appears to be the case is that these two twenty second sprints are simply enough to saturate this signaling response mechanism. And therefore, you basically don't have to, to do more or longer sprints because you've flip the switch already and that's uh, that's very yeah clever or convenient because longer sprints would be is really a lot harder so a 20 second sprint is a lot harder than a 15 second sprint and a 30 second sprint oh my god that's a lot harder so if you had to do 30 second sprints four or five intervals this would be a, a very grueling exercise and very hard to do for most people whereas two 20-second sprints are actually quite doable. So that's that's one of the mechanisms. There There are other mechanisms. Another thing that happens is because you mobilize so much glycogen and kind of partially metabolize that during the sprint, you create an osmotic imbalance between your bloodstream and the muscles. So lots of water shoots into your muscles and blood plasma volumes momentarily drop by 15-20%. So you have a transient drop in blood plasma volumes. And that is thought to stimulate an increase in blood plasma. And then that, gets, that improves your, 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 basically the, the central component of oxygen delivery. So there's, yeah there, there are several fascinating and, and curious mechanisms, and at least the, that's, that's how scientists believe this works, that, that are quite unique to rehit and that just don't occur like that in other workouts.
2: Okay, some questions about the glycogen. Glycogen is used by the actual muscle being used, correct? Is this just working with the glycogen in your legs?
0: That's correct. So you have glycogen stored so stored in your in your muscles and in your liver. And during the the workout and, and a tiny amount is floating around in your in your bloodstream, but that's really mar- i mean marginal that's like much much lower compared to what's stored in the liver and in your muscles and because you need to rapidly access it the the only available source of energy is basically muscular glycogen, which is already there and can be mobilized very rapidly, so you use the first ten seconds it's phosphocreatine, but then the the glycogen is already available for the cells to, to, to burn essentially. That is, yeah, we we call it the emergency energy reserve. So that is really, and it's a huge amount of glycogen that you store actually in your muscles and you could perform in calorie terms, much, much longer endurance workouts based on the, the level of glycogen that's stored in your muscles and, and that you, that you burn. But we're, we're actually not interested in burning all that glycogen. We're just interested in mobilizing it. And because it's the emergency reserve, your body really wants that to be available because you you have to be ready for the, you know, the next bad thing that might happen. So that sends a very strong signal to your body that it has to adapt, that it has to get fitter and stronger. And after the sprints, your body also wants to replenish those glycogen stores as quickly as possible. And that's, that's a process that's basically governed and controlled by insulin. And is thought to, that that's the, the, the reason why your insulin sensitivity improves and your metabolic health improves.
2: If a person's on a low carb or a keto diet with presumably less glycogen stores, how might that affect their experience with Carol?
0: I don't actually think so. So I, I do think also people who are on a low-carb diet, the body is perfectly capable to convert different types of fuel into glycogen and store it in the muscles. So I'm quite certain that you'd still have those glycogen stores available and be able to access them in situations where you you know you simulate an emergency or where you have like a peak energy demand because that's just the that's just the the only system that's available at such short notice if you didn't have that you'd run out of energy in 10 seconds and that's not that's not what happens
2: yeah i actually want to find an expert to come on to talk about this because i was reading some studies cuz most people because I'm sort of saturated often in the low-carb keto world, and they'll say that you have to completely deplete your body of glycogen before entering ketosis. And I don't know that that that's accurate, because I've seen studies on entry into ketosis and how it relates to glycogen depletion, and it seems to be independent of muscle glycogen. I think it involves more liver glycogen.
0: Maybe maybe do find an expert that's even more expert than me on this. Because... so. I'm hypothesizing here a little bit. So in the intro, I said I'm a mechanical engineer, not a biochemistry biology expert. But my my understanding is that glycogen is quite fundamental in in terms of having that stored in your muscles. But fair enough. Others might have more informed opinions on that.
2: That's what I'm saying is I think it's in support of what you're saying. I think there's some confusion there. So I need to, I'll I'll make a note about that. I actually also was reading on your website that there was an eight-week study where I'm just reading from my notes. It says participants' risk of type 2 diabetes was reduced by 62%, the same as metformin. That's really impressive. And I know we're not saying for people to stop taking their medicine, but their metformin.
0: No, in terms of the the impact, yes. Yeah, so so VO2 max and cardiorespiratory fitness is one big component, but the other is improvements in metabolic health. And what was measured there is, it's called the Mets z score. So that's a compound score that measures your risk of developing metabolic diseases like type 2 diabetes and a number of things go into that so your blood pressure hdl cholesterol triglycerides waist circumference and blood sugar the improvements that were seen in only 8 weeks were a risk reduction of of 62% and so so that's very significant and that is the same order of magnitude as you would expect from taking medication like metformin and metformin is not without side effects. Whereas this, this type of exercise is, is, is yeah, is without side effects. Side effects. So you get a very substantial improvement in your metabolic health with something that's actually quite doable and it is very relevant. So again, I've seen a statistic that only twelve percent of Americans meet the criteria of for being metabolically healthy. so it is really sadly a I call it an epidemic, but it's it, it affects many, many people. it affects most people in in our in our society.
2: Yeah, and I just think also in the metabolic health area, so you know weight loss and weight, how does it affect calorie burning? How about this afterburn effect that you get? What happens there?
0: So the the first thing I should say, so weight loss is obviously primarily driven by nutrition. So if if your prime concern is is weight management, you, you have to look at your nutrition first and foremost. However, there's, I think, two things I'd like to say about that. So first, Carol does burn or the, these re, even though very short rehit workouts burn a substantial or significant amount of a meaningful amount of calories because of the afterburn that's excess post exercise oxygen consumption so basically calories that you burn after you finished your workout over the next 90 120 minutes when your body basically returns to it's baseline. And in fact, it's two thirds of the calorie consumption from rehit rides occur in that afterburn period. And maybe I, I just give a personal example. When I do a rehit ride, I spend like six, seven minutes on the bike, I burn around 210, 220 calories through that very short workout, including the afterburn. And that, that's meaningful. That's like almost 10% of my calorie, like my normal calorie needs on that day. So it makes a, if, if you, I, I know not everybody believes in calories, in calories out there, and there's many more nuances, but if you consume more calories that wherever you stand on that discussion should be a helpful thing. So that's one thing. So there is meaningful calorie burn. The other thing is, and that's something I, so I talked a little bit, just awesome, just my own experience. If you're metabolically flexible and you're not insulin resistance, uh, resistant, it is easier to access basically the fat stores and energy stores that you're carrying around with you. So I do, I, I'm not super huge on fasting all the time, but I do maybe two, three times per year, like one of those Balta-Lungo fasts, the prolon things. And I feel I can get through those with actually very limited sensation of hunger and certainly not sensation of starving and i attribute that to to being able to access and being metabolically flexible being able to access the the fats the energy stored in my adipose tissue and and therefore i, I my brain my body has actually energy available and and doesn't feel like it's starving whereas if you're insulin resistant that becomes I believe a, a whole different thing that it's it's really hard to access those energy stores, and you, you feel like you're starving, and so that helps with weight management.
2: I was reading on on your website as well about the potential effects on appetite and how it could reduce appetite.
0: That that is actually true. So that's another thing. If you and I'm not in, into the, on that at the moment because I, I mostly want to. So at the moment I'm I'm really focused on gaining muscle. That's that's kind of my my thing right now. <laughs> but a, a while back I was more focused on weight management and I would do like a 16-8 routine or so with time-restricted eating and maybe also like a, a slight calorie restriction. And and I found that doing the ride in the morning did actually suppress hunger and made it easier for me to not have breakfast and wait till, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon to have lunch as my first meal, essentially.
2: Yeah, which I think is different than what most people associate with cardio related workouts, because you do those and you feel, you know, starving after. So that's a really nice hack in a way. And for listeners, I'll put links in the show notes. To, I've had, I think I've had Walter Longo on twice. So I'll put links to the interviews, he's been on this show and he's been on the intermittent fasting podcast.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Like the Prolong kits, I, I love it. I, it, it just is, is such a nice structure to go through it. I tick off every tea bag and every bag of olives. I'm really proud that after five days, but I've ticked off every single component. No, I, I do this. So I, I do those maybe two three times a year, and I find them very beneficial. I'm very proud when I've done it. But I so. While I do those, I definitely also do every day a carol ride. Now, see whether it's good for you. I don't know whether that would should be the recommendation for everybody, but certainly, I can still maintain those whereas a longer cardio session I think would be much more challenging.
2: That's super cool. I will say i I attempted prolon i it was not it did not. <laughs> It was the example. So I gave the example in the beginning of how I thought Carol was gonna be really hard and I wouldn't like it and it was amazing. Prolon, I was like, oh, I can do this. (laughs) I could not. I could not. I think because I'm so used to just complete fasting and then feasting. So having just like a little bit of food just made me starving. And I think if I kept, you know, kept at it.
0: Okay. That's interesting. No, I found, I found it's actually quite helpful to have, you know, just a little bit to, to keep you entertained and, and occupied. And, and so you're not breaking your fast out of boredom or boredom or, or habit. So, so I, yeah. But so different experiences and ultimately you, you do you and you have to find kind of what what works for you. But no, I, I find that I find a very good uh, way to
2: fast. I want to, I thought about, I was like, maybe I can have all of the prolonged meal, like All at one time during and I'll just kind of do what I'm doing, but have like a prolonged meal every night. But yeah, that's that's super cool. I had another question. Oh, so there is it related to all this. There is a program, and we haven't gone through like how it actually works on the bike, so we can do that. But there is a fat burning track, which I actually I think I've only done that once or twice, and it actually was. Pretty hard uh, for me, so I'm wondering that track, the one I'm talking about, does contain a lot of short sprints. So, how is that being better for fat burning than the normal track?
0: So, man, may just make clear that the, the Carol bike has been really, really optimized for rehit and and sprint interval training. That's what we major on. That's and that's that's kind of the reason why. Why, why people get a carol bike. On the other hand, it's a very versatile bike. So we have, I think at the moment, a range of 20 workouts on the bike that, that all have scientific validation and backing. And you know, as, as new concepts or, or new science comes up, we'll, we'll add those. But it's also, you, you can use it with, with a range of third-party apps. So there's things like Swift and Kinomap enthusiastic cyclists will be familiar with that you can use it with the peloton digital app if that's your thing or or you can just also with whatever youtube and netflix cycle like for example do your zone two sessions or so like longer sessions so it's it's also quite versatile bike now the the fat burn series that you refer to so there you have indeed you have a much larger number of sprints of 30 45 or 60 they are shorter They're only eight seconds long, and you have a 12-second break between them, and they're done at lower intensity. So that's more akin to high-intensity training. So those sprints are not maximum intensity. They're they're just high-intensity. So the, the primary thing is that you burn a phenomenal amount of calories, and that will aid weight management there are studies behind that that also showed that, that this type of workout is superior to reduce. So there, there were studies with young women, and they found that these workouts were superior in terms of body fat reduction. But there, the, the research is a little bit more mixed. And we, we do emphasize, so this, what's very, very clear is that they just burn a phenomenal amount of calories. And yes, you will sweat like hell. But really, for weight management the the number one thing is nutrition that's that's what you have to so there's I, I think it's 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 almost the consensus now that exercise alone wouldn't be a successful strategy for weight management. you have to you have to primarily address nutrition
2: well, now I'm thinking because I tried that one way in the beginning. I should try it again now and see. My perception of it. I mean,
0: it's more for people who that that is really for people who first enjoy longer and harder workouts because that that exists. So there, there are people who and sometimes so so when I'm lifting weight, for example, I that is also there. I find longer, harder workouts also enjoyable. Yeah. That's strange, but that's what what it is. Similar thing is some people do enjoy longer, harder cardio sessions, and it's uh, they get in a different mental state. They love to really exhaust themselves so and, and leave you know leave the world behind in, in some way. So it 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 has that you have that option and, and if that's what you're you're after, you you also have yeah, very very good means to to achieve that.
2: Well speaking of sweating and muscle, two related questions. One, if somebody is doing a sauna session, would, does it matter before or after? Because my pattern right now is I do the carol and then I will usually will do a sauna session after.
0: So I have no idea, and I don't think there's there's any research on that. I do think it's probably a good idea to be well hydrated before you do the exercise. That's but that's it's just a common sense answer, not because there's anything any research that I'm aware of. I do know for so for for cold exposure as far as I know, it, it doesn't matter whether before or after like first for cardio in general, I think the, the research position was, it doesn't matter. And, and even for strength training, I think that the, the opinion has somewhat moved that even there cold exposure afterwards is not, so is, is, is not something that attenuates your your gains. It's not killing your gains. So for many of those things, There's just not the research there. So that would be something to, to just try and do your N equals one on and and you try it and see what works best for you.
2: That was my takeaway just with the cold exposure and the muscle strength training. Cause I went down that rabbit hole and the, with all the studies and they were so mixed that I was like, I was like, you just do you Like, like, you just, you just, you just see what works for you. And like,
0: So in your sprints, you do as works best for you, and it's okay either way. I know many people stay seated. I actually, uh, I go out of the saddle during the sprints, but that's a personal preference. And both works well because the resistance is so high that you, you will have, how do you say, like a round pedal stroke. One thing that some of our customers sometimes regret, or is a, a point that feedback, but there is there is really a, it was a conscious decision, is around the transmission from crank to flywheel. So we have a free wheel, which means you can stop at any time, and the flywheel doesn't drive the pedals, whereas um, normal stationary bikes like a peloton or like what you would find in in your gym generally have a fixed transmission so the flywheel drives the pedal and that makes it at low resistance easier to go out of your saddle and pedal basically standing and in these Peloton classes, you, the instructors say, you know, oh, go out of the saddle now and even at relatively low resistance. And that works on a carol bike. So you need some practice to stand, maintain a round pedal stroke and you need to put the resistance a little bit higher up. But it is what it is because we find when you have these explosive sprints and you really accelerate as fast as you, as you can uh, at a low resistance – you you must have the ability to just stop whenever you want if you were forced to maintain the rhythm of the flywheel if if you if you basically lost the rhythm there would be possibly an injury risk so it might it could happen then that you if, if you tried to to basically do these explosive sprints on a normal bike and you lose the rhythm then then there would be a lot of force and energy stored in the flywheel and and there would be actually a potential Injury risk, which especially if somebody's not very used to to using a spinning bike. So we've made a very conscious decision. In the rehit sprints, it's entirely fine to either be seated or stand. And both works very well. If you want to cycle standing at low resistance, when you do like, I don't know, like your zone two training or you, you do want to follow along a Peloton class, it requires a little bit more practice to maintain a round pedal stroke.
2: And so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes, because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous, and they don't say this on the website, so I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalanceCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. I'm fascinated by this because when I first started doing it, I was only sitting, and then it occurred to me I was like, "Oh, I I could try you know standing a little bit during this." And when I do, it, it seems way easier for me. So I was like, "Maybe I'm not getting all the benefits."
0: No, no, no. Like the that's fine if it seems easy. That that's that's good, and the the bike and our algorithms will make it harder for you from workout to workout. And we want you to reach your maximum power. And if you, if you reach higher power when you're out of the saddle, by all means do that.
2: Well, that's what's interesting is, you know, it seems easier and it also seems like I'm going harder. This is just more of a, this is a very casual question, but I think especially women, people will get worried with cycling. Will they get big thighs? I know that was always a concern of mine growing up. I was wondering if that Would happen with this? I have actually have seen. I've been shocked the increase in tone I have seen, and it has not given me big thighs. It's been very. I mean, it's very noticeable, at least to me. But yes, body composition and will it give women like really big muscles?
0: No, I don't. I don't think so. No. So you you do get an increase in strength, and I, I think a positive improvement in tone and and definition. So you you do develop your leg muscles, but that you that you get like massive thighs? No, that's uh, like I, I've I've not he- heard any complaint. And we've got we've got by now a, a community of of some twenty five thousand users. The, this is not something, and we 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 really try to understand what yeah you, you know what what I users like, what they don't like, where we can improve things. Nobody's complained that their, their thighs have gotten too 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 strong and too big. I think generally that's even if you start weightlifting, it's actually not that easy to put on muscle. So that that somebody was getting bigger and stronger than they wanted—that's a rare thing. I think that that's a myth. I, I wish I had that happen to me. So, so I have to work hard to put on
2: muscle. That's funny. Oh, I have definitely seen muscle tone improvement. It's very very impressive to me. Okay, some questions about the actual program itself. So how did you, because we've we mentioned it a lot, how it adjusts, you know, the resistance. So, and you said you went through 40 to 50.
0: Prototypes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was not easy to put this together and build a, a, a nice consumer friendly package. It took us, well, the journey has been over 10 years now.
2: Wow. So the version that's out right now to consumers, has it gone through multiple versions or or not? So we have now,
0: we've got our Carole 2.0. So we had before our market launch, yeah, 40 prototypes. Then we had Carole 1.0 that went from late 2018, early 2019 until August 22. And then last August, we launched Carole 2.0 as just a better and improved version to address some of the, the things that... Some of the feedback we, we got from our users and and some of the things that we wanted to be better about the bike so because we we are very avid users we, we try to obviously make a product that, that that we enjoy to use pretty much every day so the the current model's been out now for a year yeah pretty much a year
2: is it basically you're pedaling and then the AI is adjusting the resistance to Assure that you are putting all the effort that you need to, so basically, like if you slack off, it just adds more resistance. so the
0: AI does in your optimal resistance and it tells you when to push and it controls the bike and makes it as simple as possible for you. The only thing that you have to do is push to your limit, so that that part is still with you, so I, I can explain how this works, so we've got the by far largest rehab database in the world. So we've got many, many hundreds of thousands of rides. And that's, that's vastly more data than any of our academic partners have available.
2: Literally in the world, you have the highest?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: That's really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, because, because so, so if you think about it, a, a typical clinical trial or like your academic trial would have maybe 40, 50 participants they do that three times a week over eight weeks. So they would get what's that, 150, 1,200 data points. Now we, we've got order of magnitude more. So we, we have way, way more. And we can analyze that. And so and and for a much wider range of participants, yeah, like, like most universities, they recruit students yeah, to, to do the research. They they find subjects, so it's not only students, but that's, if if you read a paper that was done with healthy young individuals, then you know, oh, students. So we have a much wider database. And so we know how these sprints look like for a, a huge number of people, for a huge number of workouts. And so we know what an optimal sprint looks like for a person just like you. And so we know you you've reached your your peak power just after the sprint starts, like three four seconds in, and then you fatigue throughout the sprint, and that is that's intended. So nobody, if you if you don't fatigue, then it wasn't your peak power. Basically, we optimize that shape of the curve and can basically make it harder for you if that curve suggests it was too easy or easier if the curve suggests it was too hard. And so we have, first we for, for people who start new, we set the resistance at an optimal level for an average person of those characteristics. So your characteristics would be your age, your weight, your height, your gender, your activity levels. And we, we ta- based on that, we can come up with a, a very good estimate. But we, of course, we are we, not sure whether you've. Like, everybody's different, so then our algorithms find very quickly what's the optimal for you in that state, and then as you get fitter and stronger, it keeps getting more challenging. Or if you had an injury, or you were traveling, or for whatever reason you you couldn't do your rides, it also backs off again and makes it easier. So to basically give an optimal experience every single time and that's that's a way how we can cater for this you know really large variety of different users from yeah olympic gold medalists to very people who are 60 70 and and are not in in great shape at all so we can cater for a very large variety of people
2: is it adjusting in real time or is it adjusting like when you do your first sprint? It
0: happens in between the workouts. It happens in between the workouts. So you do a workout, the data gets uploaded to our servers. And the next time you, you, do, you, you basically log in and do a workout, you get a, an adjusted an optimized and personalized version for the, the ride. So it happens from ride to ride.
2: Oh, wow. So would there be different implications then? So say a person did two times in one week and person A was really tired for the first workout, but not the second. And then person B was really tired for the second workout, but not the first. Would that mess up the algorithm a little bit? The
0: algorithm would adjust it, but it would find it. So we've we've built it that it basically very rapidly dials in on your optimal point. So here's the thing. We and this this may still come. we've not found the perfect implementation for it. So, for example, the bike and the sensor that you wear, it does actually track your heart rate variability. And so the thought was we, we look at your heart rate variability and then basically adjust the workout based on your form on the day. Yeah, but that's harder than we thought. Uh, so we haven't tracked that not yet this This might still come this is the, This is a more challenging problem. The other thing that is also, so we have, look, we have a rich pipeline of things that we want to implement. And so we, we will still have very enthusiastic about it and we, we chip away at it, but we have a long list of things that we want to do. Another thing that may come is just integration with other wearables and and use those signals to further basically flex the workout based on you know your your form on the day. But at the moment, so at the moment it gets optimized from right to right and it basically takes into account your I don't want to call it longer term trends because the adaptations are quite quick actually. but and and it dials in very fast. but it basically your trends, it's it follows your trends and adjusts it based on you getting fitter and stronger. There may well be, hopefully in in the you know not so distant future a way where we also can take into account like your recovery state on a given date that that isn't linked to your longer term fitness level. But that's kind of just, for example, how well did you sleep or so, things like that.
2: Well, I'm going to put my fingers crossed that maybe someday it would integrate with Aura Ring because that would be epic. I
0: know, I know, I know. Yeah, me too. And I'm I'm wearing mine now. But yeah, as I said, we have a, a rich list of things that we would like to do. And we're, we're working away and we still have, and, it's, and this is, you know, it's a really exciting thing to be working on. So I'm very passionate about it. But I'm very grateful that, that, I, that I can, you know, work on such a great product. But we, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's still in our pipeline.
2: Very exciting. So the strap that you wear, does that also affect the actual workout or was that just the anticipation of heart rate variability?
0: So you wear a strap for two reasons. One is fitness tracking. So when we calculate your fitness score, that takes into account your heart rate. So it takes into account your, your power output or energy output, and it takes into account how high your heart rate shot up after the sprint and how quickly it recovered. So heart rate recovery is an important marker of fitness. And so, if we take into account basically the input, your power output, and the heart rate recovery, we can calculate our fitness score, which is in, in essence, it's it's power per heartbeat. That allows us to very, you know, give you a meaningful, precise tracking of your fitness level. So we've designed it's it's absolutely not VO two max kind of conceptually, it's very different from VO2max, but we designed it so it tracks VO2max closely. So if you have a 10% improvement in fitness score, we're quite confident you also had a 10% improvement in VO2max. So that's one reason to wear the, the the chest strap. Another is just to see whether, you know, being honest with yourself, whether you, you push yourself uh, hard enough, so you get like an indication as to where your peak heart rate was. And we 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 want to see you between 80 and 90% of your peak heart rate during the workout after the sprints and then the the final reason is we do have some safety algorithms implemented in the bike so if your heart rate in the warm up for example was too high or higher than we think it should be or if your heart rate doesn't recover fast enough after the first sprint so we we would display a a warning if you want and and suggest kind of like, like just you, you can check in on yourself. Is this because I've, because I've done a different workout beforehand, then it's perfectly fine. But if it's really, if you're approaching it rested and your rested heart rate is too high, then this might be something you want to check with, with a physician. Those are, those are the reasons it's, it's tracking and, and then also to, yeah, as, as a, as a safety measure.
2: And can people also, if they hold the handlebars, does it do the same thing? So not in our
0: Caro Bike 2.0. The 1.0 bike had handlebar electrodes. The 2.0 doesn't. The 2.0 comes with a chest belt. So every bike has a chest belt that, you, that gets delivered with the bike. The reason behind that was, one, it gives just a great deal more. It's basically you can ride hands-free. So you don't have to keep your hands on the handlebar and you have multiple grip position. And that really improves the the comfort level of the bike quite a lot, even though it's so short, if you always have to have the hands in the same position on that straight handlebar of our first generation bike, that's something that users fed back, some found uncomfortable. And so we responded to that with our second generation bike. And the other thing is just with the chest strap, you measure the heart rate pretty much at the source. So it's it's just by far the best and most accurate way to measure heart rate. So we've we've tested also all the like heart rate bands whether they would be sufficient with optical sensors, but they're, they're just not they're not responsive enough for this type of workout because. and and they use too much averaging and and blunt the signal, that it's it's not a useful way to measure heart rate. So the chest strap is just the gold standard.
2: Okay, awesome. And then just a few quick questions about the actual track, because I've had these questions almost every time I, I do it. So I've been dying to ask you. So as I mentioned to listeners, there's this cool tiger track. Did you come up with that idea?
0: My co-founder came up with it yes and yeah it is it is a much beloved feature of the bike and let, let's see i yeah no i i love it too many people love it it's i think that's the lady she we found her because she did the the voice over of the videos in british airways on the planes and she has this lovely british voice so so that's that's how we found her yeah it's it's a nice feature i mean there's generally like some quirky bits in there because we want to, we're basically also kind of trying to build a product that we love, and and so yeah, some of those that's that's how those things come about.
2: I love it. It is an experience. And it really she talks to you like you're a hunter gatherer in the woods and walking and breathing and and that's exactly kind of what the
0: the workout simulates and and kind of you you go like you're running from a tiger. That's exactly what we want to achieve. We want because. So here's the thing. Many people will probably, they might not have experienced in a very long time what it means to be sprinting. So, so we felt that having the, the, this scenario, this paleolithic landscape and scenario would be good to get people in the mindset to, to really, like, that's what we want. We want you to run from a tiger. It's only very short, but approach it in that way. And, and physiologically, it's exactly what happens. We we simulate an emergency situation, and that's what triggers the adaptation.
2: You know what would be so fun is if you had a whole series of different stories and they're all like different adventures where for whatever reason in the adventure, there was these two sprints. So there could be like a zombie one. And it's like, you're like, zombies are coming.
0: I know, so that's also one on, on our list of, of things.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh man. If you want to have a brainstorming session, <laughs> like it's so fun.
0: I know, I know. And and so it's it's like a child in a candy store as to all right, we want this or we want this. And on the other hand, we we have to obviously so we're we're already quite we're we're a premium priced product. Let's let's be honest about it. So I think it's exceptionally good value because it's an, a, a very good bike and it takes so little time. But, but we are already at risk of putting all sorts of things into the bike because we, we want it to be the best product possible. And like, I want my bike every day to be, you know, have all the bells and whistles. But at the same time, we, we can't, how should I say, price ourselves completely out of the market because obviously people have a, a certain expectation as to how much an exercise bike can cost. And if we're, if we're double that, then at some point it becomes, it, it becomes also challenging.
2: So the questions I have when I'm doing the tiger track, oh, which again, I really do think the psychological benefits really help. Like, like when she's like yelling at you during the sprint, she's like, your family needs you. I'm, I'm like that gives me like the last motivation to like, I'm like yes, they do.
0: <laughs> That's what powerlifters or weightlifters do. So they go to very, I mean, and this is, this is kind of the kind way. I think what powerlifters do when they really want to push to their absolute limits they go to some dark places in their mind to 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 like really motivate and mobilize like the last bit of energy and power to to lift that iron yeah so so the the psychology of it is important there's no question about it
2: it works for me and she says like right at the end and that's just like the final boost <laughs> i need the questions i have while doing it though is she says for listeners there's a screen in front of you that has a lot of data and there's a watts section and she says to walk very slowly and she says that a lot to stay under 20 watts my question is should you be doing it like 2 watts or like 19 watts like does it matter where should you be when she says very slowly slowly so you
0: recover and slowly so you don't sweat unnecessarily the warm up recovery and cool down certainly are not part of the workout that contribute to the adaptation and making you fitter and stronger in fact the the warm-up doesn't doesn't have so you can keep the warm-up as short as 20 seconds I often also do the the whole two minutes because I focus on my breathing I, I loosen my joints a little bit but if you're warmed up already or or if you if you feel ready for the sprints there's there's little that stops you from cutting the warm-up short. So you can do it in as little as 20 seconds. The recovery between the two sprints does have more purpose. So the default would be three minutes. And then depending on your fitness levels, you can keep that, and whether you're in a rush, yeah, you can keep that shorter. The minimum is one minute. And the reason for the recovery is just to give your phosphocreatine system the, the short moment it needs to recharge, so you can have a strong second sprint. So and that is again it, it varies a little bit by individual. I think for most people, or it generally that's my understanding. Phosphocreatine system would be fully recharged after about four minutes. Two or three minutes is is plenty is sufficient for most people. And if you're if you're very fit or if you're in a rush, then one minute is also fine. So that is something you again you can. Compress. The cool down, the cooldown is really important, and you can't compress it. So you should give yourself the full three minutes for the cool down. And the main thing there is uh, touched upon that earlier. So you do have this osmotic imbalance and the transient drop in blood plasma volume. And that means you have a transient drop in blood pressure and the 3 minutes are enough for your blood pressure to normalize and so you as you come off the bike then you shouldn't feel dizzy or yeah somewhat like like worst case that you faint or so but that so that doesn't happen if you give yourself the the cool down period if you were to just jump off the bike after your second sprint i'm sure for most people nothing would happen but, but some people would feel dizzy. So, so therefore, you can't shortcut the cool down. And we very much recommend or advise that you, that you take that moment. And you can do... The, the other thing is, this actually helps to calculate your fitness score and give you good tracking data, because that's the critical period where we want to see how fast your heart rate actually recovers. So there's, there's many good reasons to do this, these three minutes cool down in full.
2: Okay, that's interesting. Is there another track that doesn't have the warm-up, or how do you skip the warm up?
0: Oh that that's done automatically. If you have the we call it the adaptive feature or, or user controlled sprints, it's in essence you can if you if you're in a rush, you feel ready, you can just sharply accelerate, and the bike will then automatically initiate the sprint.
2: I just start sprinting and it will
0: correct, correct. and that's that's if you're in a rush if you want and then you could do the workout in so the minimum is five minutes. and uh, yeah, there, there are people who appreciate that. I usually do it in so I, I do quite often cut the warm up shorter and, and maybe not do the whole recovery, so then it takes me like six and a half, seven minutes or so to do my rides. And that's, that's, you know, I mean, it, it becomes marginal, whether it's seven or eight minutes, but nevertheless, it's, we focus on, so we want to, you know, make every moment, every second count. And, and so that's, that's part of what we want to offer. If people don't want to pedal at a low resistance for two minutes, they don't have to.
2: Even on the Tiger narration track?
0: that That's correct. Yes.
2: Will she stop talking or will she keep? She will skip to the, she she will uh, skip to the right. Really? oh, I'm excited. I want to try this. Okay. That's super cool. The other question I had about, okay, a few other just quick questions about the, like when the tiger is approaching and it's like five seconds until you sprint, the screen turns red like five seconds before, which signals to three seconds before or three seconds. Okay. Which kind of psychologically signals to me to start going faster. Am I supposed to start going faster or do I wait until the actual sprint commences?
0: so you you should basically when the when the counter hits the zero you should be at your maximum cadence your maximum pedal sprint and different people manage to accelerate more explosively or not so some people some people need like the 3 second warning other 2 seconds is enough some people get in 1 second from i don't know 60 rpm to 150 rpm there's you, you'll figure that out very quickly, and then the the other thing is that, and this is a settings question. So if you have that user controlled sprint initiation, so that's in the bike settings, you can set it, select it or not. Then, if you if you if you basically start a bit too early, the bike would just apply the resistance at the perfect time for you. So even if you because what what's kind of less if you if you started at like minus three seconds and you immediately reached your peak cadence, then you'd be spinning at a very very high pace with without resistance for like two three seconds, and that that wouldn't feel optimal. So therefore, it's it's better to have that user controlled sprint starts enabled, and then it, it basically takes that a little bit of guesswork out as well. And it's just the resistance gets applied at the optimal moment automatically.
2: Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. And use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get ten percent off. Again, that is coffee with the coupon code Melanie Avalon for ten percent off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my ten-year, decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just gotta upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. So when she says the tiger's approaching in the three-second start, I, I start going. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And then it will just happen.
2: The AI resistance is sort of, I mean, I'm not very consciously aware of what it's doing, but that was something I did notice. I did notice it adjusted resistance on the on that three seconds for me i was like oh it made a change here the other question i had about it if you do the meditative breathing that she walks you through versus not is there any difference so
0: yes there, there is actually first kind of this four seconds in and six seconds out does so it's a parasympathetic nervous system balancer it helps you calm down and to, to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And generally for most people, that, that's the part that uh, like our sympathetic nervous system is usually fully dialed in. So kind of to take a moment and have this exhale focused breathing does help with calmness and, and mindfulness. And I think Huberman, Andrew Huberman, over the last few months popularized kind of very similar breathing pattern so also exhale focused and he has this little double tap still which which i've i've incorporated in my breathing and if you follow that it, it does actually so it accelerates your heart rate recovery and it does help you calm down much quicker and normalize much quick when i say much noticeably quicker after the sprints so so i keep a close eye on that and when I focus on my breathing after the sprints, I, I see noticeably how that my, my heart rate recovers faster and I come to basically a, a more normalized state quicker. Very clearly for me, it works. And the, the, there is actual research that shows that these exhale-focused breathing practices are effective.
2: Also, it's just good for getting people into the habit of you know doing something meditative like that. So it's basically like double whammy exercise and meditative practices and getting your workout. Exactly,
0: exactly. It's kind of making most out of that time on the bike and there we, we kind of can stack different things on top of each other. Yeah, exactly.
2: Because I will say, sometimes I do the breathing, but a lot of times I do stuff on Instagram during the (laughs) in-between, and then I do the sprints. That's okay.
0: That's okay. Uh, You do you.
2: But uh, no, because then I'm like multitasking, working and doing it. But the thing is, I really, like I'm saying this to myself now, and I say it every time I'm on the bike. I'm like, Melanie, you should be doing the breathing. This would be such a good exercise and, you know, doing that meditative practice. So... I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I do have one note for listeners and slight question for you about it. I turned this setting off and it was because the default, right after you do the sprint, it like puts a message on the screen and says, How do you feel? And she like stops talking and you have to like select. I found for me, it like, really took me out of the zone because i'd be like in the zone like listening and sprinting and then when it went silent not that i had a heart attack but like it it always startled me a little bit
0: so that's okay we're not we're not upset that you that you disabled that that's fine it's a absolutely a choice and we think it's maybe more helpful for new users so this reflects a very basic belief of of ours that adherence is the most important thing. So you can have the most wonderful, effective, efficient workout. If you don't do it, it's all meaningless. So adherence is the most important thing. So if you did feel not great, or if you did feel, so it's basically two questions is how do you feel today? And do you believe you can do it again? If, if If you didn't feel well and you don't feel you could do it again, then we would really encourage you to to try the rehit versions with the shorter sprints and see whether those work for you and you feel well after those. It makes a huge difference whether a sprint is 20 seconds or 15 seconds or 10 seconds. And the shorter versions also have some evidence behind them. Obviously, it's not quite as effective, but if that's what you can do and then build up your strength and build up your fitness, then that's, that's what you should be doing. And so this is to encourage people to, to really find the workout that, that they can adhere to because that's, that's really what counts.
2: Is there a way to make it still ask me that without it going silent? Because that, that was the only thing that bothered me. It goes quiet.
0: I'll check. L- let me check that. So I, I actually don't know the answer on that right now, but I'm very happy to check and, and, and I'll get back to you.
2: Cool. Yeah, because it just, it like, Startles me when it goes quiet. Does it matter what shoes I wear?
0: Yes, in a way it does, not hugely. And there's there are options. So you can use just trainers, sneakers, possibly dress shoes. Yeah. Now you so you can definitely wear trainers or sneakers and use the the toe cage and the the toe strap to strap yourself to the pedals, and that works perfectly fine and is perfectly adequate. However. If you like cycling shoes are not a massive investment, and the bike comes with some compatible cleats, and then you have clipless pedals. so it's it's pedals that you can click in. and you can eke out some some extra power actually when you work out with cycling shoes. So I, I use my bike with cycling shoes. I get a little boost in in terms of peak power, and my performance is, Certainly a little bit better if I use cycling shoes. You don't have to, but it's a, it's a relatively small investment. And yeah, I do it. And I, I would probably recommend it as well. You don't have to, but it's it's a good thing.
2: Okay, awesome. Yeah, like I said, I'm so naive with all this stuff. So I was like, how can it really make a difference? But I was talking to Brad. He's like, you need to get the right shoes. It really matters. And I was like, okay.
0: You can exert force across the the. The whole pedal stroke, basically, and it uh, you you need a little bit of practice there as well, but it's it's just it gives a better connection, a more solid connection between your your foot and the pedal so it, it's marginal but
2: worthwhile awesome. and then just a fun fact I'll share with listeners that I also learned on your blog. It was talking about stretching, and it was saying most people think stretching beforehand is what's important but it was saying that you might get more benefits with stretching after because of the the blood flow release and everything so i thought that was super cool
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and and it is so like i have to admit i've never thought of mobility exercises and stretching as anything important but i've actually come around now and yeah i do incorporate almost every morning a mobility and stretching routine into my into my daily kind of morning routine.
2: Are you doing it before or after?
0: So I do it after. Again, there's there's probably whatever feels best to you. I find, especially then if you've warmed up a little bit, I do after. But that's I, I'm sure there's again you do you and as you feel best about it. Generally, I, I do think that the the building blocks of a good like workout routine is. Something for cardio, something for strength, something for mobility. So those are three pillars that everybody sh- should, if they if they can at all, include in their routine. And and with Carobike, the the cardio component is is taken care of, and and lower leg strength or or leg strength is is taken care of so quickly and efficiently.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. For listeners, Ulrich is in London, so I know it's your evening. So I, I really appreciate this and I just. Like, this bike is changing my life. I want everybody to have it. <laughs> like, everybody. You're so kind. So for listeners, if you would like to get your own Carol bike, you can go to carolbike.com. You can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get $100 off. I know a few people have already told me, because I've been talking about it on the the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, and a few listeners have said they already got one. But I, I know we talked you're talking about the barrier to entry and the price and everything. I just think if you step back and look at it compared to – you know, a gym membership or the long-term investment. I mean, it's really the way to get the ultimate, you know, cardiovascular rehit, all all these benefits that we've talked about throughout this episode in your life. Oh, and I didn't even mention, so it doesn't take up, I mean, it's an exercise bike, but I was able to fit it in my, my apartment pretty nicely. It's just amazing. Thank you for making it.
0: Thank you. It means a lot to, to hear that. Thank you very much.
2: And actually, so the last question that I ask every single guest on this show, speaking of thank yous, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: Honestly, that I'm have the opportunity and privilege to work on a on a product like this that first is really what I enjoy doing and that I'm passionate about and and that that touches now a growing number of people and their lives. So that's one of the things. I'm there's many other things I'm also grateful about, but certainly that is one thing I'm grateful for.
2: I love it so much. Thank you again. I just can't give a higher endorsement for this product. It's amazing. And I, I can't wait for for listeners to hopefully be able to try it. Yeah, I really look forward to all of the updates in the future.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you.
2: Me too. Me too. Have a good evening and
1: I will I will talk to you soon. Thanks.